Hey everybody, welcome back to One Mic, where I watch shit so you don't have to. And today I'm here to talk about episode 5 of Who's Nine Perfect Strangers, entitled Sweet Surrender. Um, and this one, I think Sweet Surrender, Surrender, <laughs> Surrender, <laughs> I think Sweet Surrender is referring to, I think, the, the guests uh, surrendering to whatever it is that Masha has in store for them, right? Up to this point, they've been kind of pushing back, like, oh, you're dosing us, you're doing all this kind of shit, this is weird, I don't like this, I don't like that. And in this episode, they actually have very little interaction with Masha. Uh, Masha, you know, mainly interacts with Delilah in this episode. And we see the, the I don't know, what do we call people who are here? The resident re residents? No, not residents, but uh, the people who are staying there. <laughs> uh, we see them more interacting with one another and naturally and just kind of just having natural uh, connections being built and grown. So, um that's what I think the title is referring to is that they finally got gotten over that hump of, you know, I, I don't know what this is. This is weird. I don't fuck with this. And now they're kind of in a space where they're more willing to to let let this procedure go as it may. Like there's one point, I think, where where Napoleon is just like, yeah, you know, hook me up with another smoothie, baby. I had a dope dream last night. Like it, like he's all in. And yeah, that's what I think this uh this this title is referring to. Um. This episode had, uh, several characters had some very vivid dreams in this episode. And I want to talk about some of those dreams. And then, like I said, I'm going to go by, I'm going to kind of like mix these two things together. I'm going to go character by character. Like I said, I was going to start doing last week and just kind of talk about what we learned or what we saw with that character in this episode. So I'm going to start with Napoleon and his family, which I'm going to kind of use as a group, just like I use Masha and, uh, the staff as a group. And, um, well, Napoleon is one of the people that has one of these vivid dreams. And I think the vivid dreams are tied to uh, things that they are, are deeply regretting or things that they are not being honest with themselves about hangups, you know. And Napoleon's was the one that was the most difficult to kind of suss out because, uh, you know, his is just a simple like, oh, I dripped out was one of the Beatles. And it was, it was kind of, you know, if they didn't if they didn't add in the him singing to uh, his daughter on the on her birthday, that would have been a, a, a one that was a little bit more difficult to connect because it's like okay so that's not really like a hang up or a regret but it could be now you look at it, it's like okay clearly this guy enjoys singing right so maybe that was something he really aspired to do and for whatever reason uh wasn't able to pull it off and it could have been something to do with zach uh you know who knows but um yeah i, I think that's probably where his dream came from um let's see what else did i have here um oh obviously i want to talk about zoe um, Zoe's vivid dreams. She sees Zach. And interesting note about this, right? So up to this point, all these characters have been microdosing on, on this room, psilocybin or whatever, right? And But they've been purposely or supposedly not giving any to Zoe because she wasn't 21. She has this hallucination that seems very real to where she physically like hugs this, this I don't know, I don't even know what to call him. Like you can't call him a ghost. Like you physically, physically can hug him, but um, she she hugs her brother and it feels very real. But this is like the night before her birthday. So theoretically, she's not on anything. So I'm wondering, like, because I presume that everyone else's vivid dreams were because of what they've been taking. But if Zoe hasn't been taking anything, why did she have a, you know, a vision? So um, I think that's uh, something interesting to discuss, especially when you tie it in with the end of the episode. Right. At the end of the episode, everyone's dancing. Nice moment. While uh, Napoleon sings and Zoe looks off, she sees Zach again. 
And then Masha sees Zoe seeing Zach. And well, I don't know if she knows if she could see Zach, I mean, but she at least sees Zoe looking at something. And then goes over and speaks to her in Russian, saying, like, oh, you see him, don't you? You're the key. And one, why would Zoe know Russian? <laughs> I, I I don't know if that's like a a a boneheaded kind of mistake or if this show is going to start to kind of like tap it to the supernatural, right? Like where maybe Zoe does understand what she's saying inexplicably or, uh, you know, is, is Masha behind these visions or is this something that's, I don't know anything, something that's being created somehow. I, I don't know, but, um, I'm curious to see if this is going to start to kind of like delve into the supernatural, which if it did, I'd probably be on board with it. Uh, I, I, at this point I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm yearning for, content that challenges me and that gives me something different and doesn't just rehash the same shit and again this started off feeling similar to white lotus but i mean it, it's it's really not and you know if it added like a supernatural aspect i'd probably be pretty cool with that uh it, i just i would just need it to feel feasible and i don't really know I'm, I'm not a television show writer so i can't say this what you need to do but um you know I, I hope it doesn't come off corny if they do do that but i, I think that you know they need to kind of like, I think what helps is like if you establish a little bit of that up to that point. Whereas right now, if that if, if all of this is like kind of like supernatural, they just hit us with it on episode five, like out of nowhere. And I would have liked to have seen that built up to where if it, go, if it goes full on supernatural, I can be like, okay, well, I can see where they planted the seeds for this. Um, but uh, one of the many questions I left this episode with, which is not a bad thing, by the way. Um, so... Next, I want to talk about Francis. Francis also had a vision. Uh, unfortunately, hers didn't take place overnight. It took place at breakfast. But I like how they uh, filmed that to make it look like it was something that was really happening. And, and as it plays out, you start to wonder, like, is this a vision too? And then she wakes up in the oatmeal and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> well done. <laughs> but um, Francis envisions uh, Catfish Paul showing up at the resort and essentially saying that he didn't catfish her he just bailed because he was like i can't believe this person i'm talking to would be such a shitty writer and that's why i said it seems everything seems to be tied to this these this regret or um something that you are uh, a hang-up that you have i think that's the best way to put it like a hang-up that you have and francis the entire season has showcased a great deal of, of self-doubt a lack of confidence you know a lack of worth uh and i think all of that comes through in envisioning Paul kind of like bashing her and bashing her writing it's just her own stuff her own shit uh just manifesting in front of her so um pretty straightforward I think with that but I still thought it was a cool scene to especially when you think it might be real to have him uh just coming up like yeah you know you're a terrible writer but like I think you're cool but like I just had to come verify that you are real because like there's no way you could be this cool and be this shitty of a writer <laughs> I'm like wow this is this is ridiculous but um I also like how Francis is bonding with Tony. It's one of those things where, like, you kind of saw it come. You knew it was going to happen when they butt heads, like, as hard as they did in the very first episode. You know, you, you look at that and you go, they're going to become friends. And and I like I like what they're doing. You know, I like how Tony kind of came to her rescue, uh, helped getting the oatmeal out of her hair after the fact. Um, and then they share a moment as well, which I, I think this will be a good time for me to transition to talking about Tony. Um... Tony again had a big a big sharing moment with Francis last week. He shared that uh, he accidentally killed a guy, and today he shared today in this episode he shared that uh, he wasn't present for the birth of his kids. One because he was at a game, and the other because he was high. 
Um, so he has big hangups over, I guess, his own uh, quality of fatherhood, right? So that kind of feeds into Lars' vivid dream of having a baby and Tony being the father. Now, it doesn't make sense, I don't think anyway, for Lars to envision Tony as the father, especially because like he, he barely knows Tony. But from Tony's perspective, to have someone envision him as a father, if he's already questioning his own ability to be a father, his own quality as a father, I could see why that would really fuck with him. So um, these, these, these relationships are making sense and these, these, uh, these reactions, like the way Tony kind of snaps at him, like they're doing a good job of making these things make sense by slowly giving us that backstory and then we can go okay well now it makes sense why he would feel that way he has hang-ups over his own ability to be a father over his own uh performance as a father um Lars we got more on him this week uh he's been kind of I feel like a little underserved but um you know he opens up with Zoe about the fact that his his ex wanted to have a kid and that would again explain his hang-up which is the well the lack the fact that they didn't have a kid he shot it down now they're not together anymore. And that's something that Lars is probably dealing with, right? And uh, I got to say, like, that imagery was shocking in a, not in a, in a negative way, but just, like, you don't see anything like that. Where you see a guy that, look, like, looks like he's giving birth and then another guy looking like the doting father. Like, I'm sure there's been plenty of images of, of, of two men who have, who, who have <laughs> acquired a child but imagery of a man giving birth, like you don't really see that. Um, so I thought that was like some interesting imagery, but interesting in a good way. Like I, I thought that was like, oh, this is like weird. Like I've never seen anything like this before. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, so so we learn a little bit more about Lars and, and his hangups as well. So uh, like I said, all of this seems to revolve around hangups. I thought we we're going to get a little, you know, hear something from everyone about a dream that they had. But alas, we did not. Um, Carmel flips out overhearing her wedding song and Carmel flips out is probably how I could start the Carmel section of every episode that I do on here about that. Uh, I still find Carmel to be uh, interesting in the fact that she is so, like they haven't called her bipolar, but like the way she goes from zero to a hundred almost seems to be, uh, the importance of that seems to be minimized by the group. Like no one's really pointing this out, like how one minute she's cool and the next minute she's beating the shit out of this dummy or stabbing the table with something or jumping across the table at someone, you know, and all of this seems to revolve around her hangups regarding what happened with her husband. And I liked her little, her little rant about, you know, like I'm sick of all this, all this pretending everything that's going on here, how everyone's making this stuff seem normal and it's not I'm tired of pretending that I'm cool with what happened with my husband, all this kind of stuff. And her, her and Lars have this moment which is interesting because her and Lars have, have, you know, butt heads when I mentioned her jumping across the table. That was at Lars. And now Lars is, is seemingly, again, sweet surrendering to everything that's going on, right? He's less of a dick. And now he's like, you know, being really comforting to Carmel. So, um, you know, they share a moment, which is nice. Uh, we see Lars start to open up. So, yeah, everybody's progressing, I think, in a very interesting way. Um, my only, uh, I guess, disappointment is that Ben and Jessica continue to be underserved on this show. Um, right now, they still appear to be nothing more than people who want to work on their marriage. And there's been virtually none of that. It's been Jessica wanting to get drugged and Ben being not interested in any of this. Then out of nowhere in this episode, all of a sudden, they're just 
all lovey-dovey, which was weird. And that's it. And I, I, I don't, I don't like the fact that uh, Melvin Gregg, who I enjoy as as Man Boy on Snowfall, being brought into this show, very different kind of character, very different kind of actor. There's no, you know, uh, other black people among the the nine, you know, the nine uh, guests, right? So he's the only black guy in the in the group of the guests, and I, I, I don't know. It just feels like, man, why do you have to uh, bring him in? When like he's already like one of the least accomplished actors on this show, like you got heavyweights on this shit, and you bring in Melvin Gregg, who's who's not very well known, and he's the only black guy in, that's among the 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 guests, and they just don't give him shit to do, man. Like him and Jessica, and, and that's that. I knew this was gonna happen. I was concerned it would. It, I was concerned that it would, but that when you again when you're working with this many people and you're trying to put in backstory for all these people it seems inevitable that someone or someones are going to be underserved. And it, it looks like it's going to be Ben and Jessica. It was Lars, I think, for the first couple episodes, and now it's Ben and Jessica, who, at this point, I don't find even a little interesting. I, I, I really hope that, I think it's eight episodes, in these last three, they try to do something with them that makes them interesting or important. But right now, I don't even know why they're there. Everyone else has such deep-seated issues that they're dealing with and coping with, and they just Ben and Jessica just kind of seem like they're just there, like they like this is a standard uh, marriage counseling retreat, and they're just you know oh, okay, well I want to I want to work on our marriage, I don't really, you know whatever cool, and then now all of a sudden they're cool, and I don't I don't know, I just feel like their their storyline is incredibly underserved, um, and then lastly Masha and her staff, um, we dive further into this little three way thing that they have going on, which um, I have a lot of. Uh, questions about how this dynamic was created and, and how everyone feels about it because it feels very like all three of them know what each of them is doing but it's like an unspoken thing between the three of them uh we see Delilah you know make out with Masha and there's excuse me there's clearly been some sort of uh, troubled situation in the past we open up with like a flashback to what I'm assuming is a previous uh, incarnation of their their whole protocol where it looks like a, a guest might have died and we see constantly Delilah looking at it very concerned not Yao Yao is there but only Delilah's looking really taken aback by this and I'm wondering if D Delilah's maybe more directly involved in what happened to this guest um, I think Delilah's still even though she says she is she's still not dosing she snapped at Tony for I don't think good reason um, and and then even her parting with this Maya Angelou quote at the breakfast seemed fake. So um, this was one we've already established as bipolar. Uh, and I think she's still dealing with that as well. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Oh, they, they mentioned the idea that Delilah, again, that Delilah might be the person who's threatening Masha. I don't believe that to be the case. But it looked like Masha got a text with the goat, the, the dead goat from what was that last week or the week before and it said you're next uh any old random person wouldn't have that picture so it kind of makes me think it might have been it might be one of the guests but i don't see the any of the guests with any kind of ulterior motive to be there the only thing that i wonder about at the beginning uh when we see the 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 situation with this guest that might have died we then flash farther back to uh when masha gets shot and this time we see it looks like it's a black guy that shoots her. And it makes me wonder if 
they are uh, underdeveloping Ben and Jessica to kind of steer attention away from them. And that maybe this black guy who shot Masha is somehow related to Ben. And maybe it's Ben who's sending the threatening pictures. And he agreed to go to this marriage retreat because he has it out for her for whatever reason. So I mean, that's the only thing I can guess. Um, because I, I, I'm still very unclear on the connection between um, Masha getting shot and the current present day threats. And then I'm also wondering it, why they just seem to really not be paying too much attention to Ben and Jessica. And generally when you're kind of doing something where you want to have some sort of a reveal, you want to, you know, dangle the red herring, right? Like look over here while something else happens over here. And I'm wondering if that's kind of what they're doing. Like, don't look at Ben and Jessica. They're not interesting. And then at the end, we're going to find out that Ben is somehow um, related to or affiliated with the situation regarding Masha being shot. And then maybe, or or maybe whoever is is threatening uh, Masha is related to whatever whoever this guest is that died. But the only thing that's weird about that is that it would be in reverse, right? Because she her her getting shot is what prompts the creation of Tranquillum. So uh, whoever this is that died would have died after she got shot. So I, I'm again I'm wondering how these things are connected, but I feel like they are. So um, if you have any theories or guests, let me know what you think in the comments and. Um, I'll be back next week to go over episode six. I thought this was a, a very strong episode. I, I really like how the characters are starting to come into their own, build these relationships and grow. And it feels like we're actually working towards something that could be really interesting. So, um, and they, if they interject some supernatural shit too, hey, I'm all for it. So um, I'll see you guys next week for episode, episode six. And until then, peace.